All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 6. So last week we talked about our death with Christ. Today we're going to talk about our burial with Christ. Next week we're going to talk about our resurrection with Christ. And we really can't understand burial unless we understand death. I can't go back and I don't have time to do a, a summary. So I would encourage you, listen to the message. If you feel like you're, you've missed something, they're all online. You can listen to them on the website. And let's read together. Let's begin in Romans chapter 6. We'll just begin in, in uh, verse 1. And I'm going to read down through... Verse 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So there is no resurrection without a death. And the death that we must die is not a physical death. Physical death doesn't get us anything, except it takes us to Jesus, right? Death is the last enemy to be put under. And the Bible is really clear that we should not fear physical death. The death that we must die is the death with Christ in the cross. So Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. So this speaks of a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Right there in that one verse, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead, but the life I live, I live... By faith, where? In the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the resurrection life that we have is not our life. It's the life of Christ. So there's a death, there's a burial, there's a resurrection. We're buried with Christ. Why? That the body of sin might be done away with. Let me read from Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, how did we do that? We were buried with him in baptism. So baptism speaks of a death. Remember, if you were, for as many as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. What death? That is the death of the cross. 
That is the Spirit of God who places us into. That's what the word baptize means. It's the Spirit of God that places us into Christ. So someone has to die. I have to die. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. So I have to be crucified. I have to be buried so that I can be raised. How? In the life of Christ. So we're going to talk about this today. And we're going to do this and springboard next week and talk about resurrection. So burial with Christ, this is our call to put off the old man. To put off the old man. What does it mean to be buried with him through baptism? So we're obviously not literally physically buried with him, but yet we are literally spiritually buried with him. I I don't want you to think that this is just somehow some metaphor. It is a metaphor, but... But there's something real. Something really happened. It's kind of like the table. We're not not Catholic in our belief that the, the wafer magically becomes, mystically becomes the flesh of Christ and the cup mystically becomes the literal blood of Christ. We're not Catholic and we don't believe in that. But we're also not on the other side and say it's all just a nice symbol. There is really something powerful. There is something real about this table. When we come and we take the body of Christ and we take the cup of the Lord, when we take the bread and we take the cup, the body and the blood, there is something real and powerful. When the body of Christ, the people of God, come to the table, there is really a renewal that takes place in the body of Christ. I can't explain it to you because it's not naturally or earthly explainable. That's kind of the way our baptism is. That's the way our death and our burial and our resurrection with Christ is. Burial is not just a metaphor. It's not just a a good idea that God had to help us understand what happens with our salvation. There, There is literally a putting away of our old man. The problem is not that our old man is, is, has not been put away. The problem is we don't have the proper and the full comprehension that he has really been crucified and put away. And this really what has to, this is what has to happen in us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible calls the renewing of our mind. This is God teaching us by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. This is God revealing to us this reality that we have truly been crucified with Christ, that we have died with Him, we have been buried with Him. Our old man, our old sinful man has really been put away. And we have truly, really, in reality, been raised with Christ in His life And we are now seated in heavenly places. That's a reality. Though it's also a reality that we're here. You're sitting on foam chairs, right? Foam cushions. You're really here in Taylor. This is not the matrix, okay? You're really here. But the Bible says you really are seated in heavenly places in Christ. 
So something real took place. If by grace you have been crucified with Christ, a real death took place. And when you were crucified, you were buried. Something was really put away. And this is what Paul is writing to the church at Rome, helping them understand. They're struggling with this concept because remember, they have lived under the law. And they mistakenly thought that the law was given to them to make them righteous. So this is why the Jews had a really difficult time with Jesus. This is why they had a really difficult time with the Apostle Paul. Because they thought the Apostle Paul was saying that the law was not good. That the law was not godly. That, that he was somehow saying that that, that that was never good. Paul is very clear that the law is good. The law is holy. The, the problem is the law cannot make you righteous. Try as you might. And so what you have in the times that the Bible were written, when Jesus walked the earth and before, and what you still have in too much of the church today is this comprehension that somehow, if I can be just good enough, then, then God will count me righteous and I'll get to heaven one day. And Jesus died and gave me the Holy Spirit so I can have extra power to live the law and live a righteous life. And if I'm really lucky, one day maybe God will let me into heaven. I've got news for you. That's not gospel. That's not good news. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not why God gave us the law. God gave us the law. Paul tells us this. God gave us the law for one reason, to kill us. He gave us the law to condemn us. The law is there for one reason and one reason only. It's to, it's to condemn us and to kill us. It's to bring us to the realization that there is no way in ourselves that we can obey this law, that we can be good enough to earn our way, to work our way to heaven. So Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He said, the law was my tutor, was my schoolmaster that brought me to Christ. The law revealed the true nature of my sinfulness, the true condition of my life that I have fallen short and there is no hope for me to reach God. Try as I might. Keep all the law I want. Can't do it. So the law says, what you need is the righteousness of another. So the law brought Paul. The law brings us to Christ and says, what you need, now that you understand your unrighteousness and your sinfulness, and you are without hope. What you need is to look to and trust in the righteousness of another. The life of another. So we're called to put off the old man. So there's a real burial that takes place. The scripture calls it the putting away or to put off the old man that grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 25. Paul writes that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a very important phrase. Ephesians chapter 4, 
right there in verse 23. You should highlight that in your Bible. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What is it that your mind needs to be renewed to? Your mind needs to be renewed to Christ. Your mind needs to be renewed to the fact because in our flesh, in our human nature, because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we want to manage our lives and manage our sinfulness based on our knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Your sin is unmanageable. Your life is unmanageable. You cannot manage your life and you cannot manage your sinfulness. You must give that to God. So what we need to do, now that we are in Christ, we need to renew the spirit of our mind. We need to train our mind, teach our mind that wants to keep going back and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and managing our sinfulness through behavior modification. That, that's what we want to do. That's our nature. The Bible says, no, you need to renew your mind now to the grace of God in Christ. That the only way that you can possibly keep the law is in Christ because Christ is. Listen to me. Christ was, Christ is, and Christ will always be the only man who ever perfectly kept the law. This is why Ephesians 2 says that he created in himself one not many new men, one new man. It is that one new man, Christ Jesus. So we put off the old man and we put on the new man through the renewing of our mind. He says, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore putting away lying and all the other works of the flesh. So we're to literally put off or to be putting away the old man and its deceitful lust. The lust of the old man are described as deceitful. Why? Because they entice us and they draw us away from the truth. Here's what our lust to want to live by works. Do you realize that's, that's part of our human fallen nature? Our tendency, our natural inclination is to want to work to be good enough for God. I mean, you can see it. You can see it in your life. You can see it in children. We're born bent like that. That's, that's what? That, that we work for people's approval. Because there's something inherent in us that, that yearns to work to be good enough. And, we, and so we're born with this mistaken thought that, that we can work to be good enough for God, and we can't. And so we're to put off this old man and its deceitful lusts. James chapter 1, 13 through 16, James writes this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is Listen, drawn away by his own desires, the King James uses the word lust there because that's what the word is, by his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust or desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. This is what lust does. It deceives us. 
And so our old man is, is bound up with lust. And we're deceived by it. But Christ came and he made a way where there was no way so that we could be set free from the old man, so the old man could be crucified and finally put away. So to bury or to put away the old man is to bury or to put away the lusts of the old man. So we're called to put off the old man and we're called to be spiritual, not carnal. You know what the word carnal means? It's a, it's a word, it's a Latin word, carne. It, it's the word, it means flesh. We're not to be fleshly, we're to be spiritual. Now we live in flesh and blood bodies, right? And we need to understand something about our flesh and blood bodies. Let me read some scriptures to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. If you're there by Romans 6, you're real close. Let's read verse 1, and then we're going to skip down and read verse 9, because you'll not really understand verse 1 apart from verse 9. Here's, here's the thing, church. When you read your Bible, read it in context, because... If you just read it out of context, you're not going to really understand what the Bible is teaching us. So Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you what the therefore is there for. It's very important. What Paul is crying, Who will deliver me from this body of death? It's a very graphic picture that we don't understand in our Western culture. But in Paul's day, it was a very graphic picture of, of a soldier, of a prisoner being chained to a dead, rotting corpse. This is what was done sometimes to affect a slow and painful and especially unpleasant death for someone. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God for Jesus Christ. There is therefore, hallelujah, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does that mean? We don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do we get in the Spirit? Do we light candles and dim the lights and, and get real mystical? Do we, do we get the music just right and get the goosebumps going and, 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 and begin to get chills? And How do we get spiritual? Go down to verse 9. Not only is God supremely supernatural, He is very mystical, but He is also very practical. And we want to take the Bible and the truth of the Bible and make it something that it's really not. What does it mean to be spiritual? Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen, you're alive in the flesh right now. I mean, that's, that's real flesh. That stings. You know, my wedding ring hits that bone right there. It kind of gives you one of those little... Tingly things. Flesh is real. We're living in flesh and blood bodies. But I'm telling you what, God does not 
know you any longer according to the flesh. He knows you only by the Spirit. And He doesn't even know you in yourself because you and I have no right to come into the presence of God because you and I have no righteousness that would allow us to come into the presence of God. Try as you might, work as hard as you want, give as much as you want, pray as much as you want, you will never become righteous in yourself. But when we have been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, we are raised in His life, members of His body, we become joined to Him in life, and we become members of the one new man who has come to the Father. Now the Father knows us. How? He knows us in Christ. My hand has its own identity. It is a hand. It's not a foot. It's not an ear. It's not a nose. It's not a mouth. It is a hand. But it has no identity. It has no life. It has nothing apart from being a member of my body. What good is my hand if it's not joined to my body? It's no good. It's dead. And so what good are we if we are not joined to Christ? We are no good. We are dead. Read John 15. That's exactly what Jesus teaches us. But praise God, the gospel, the good news is Christ made a way where there was no way. We can now be joined to him in his life, raised with him in the one body of the one new man. And we have now been brought into the very presence of the Father because by grace through faith, we are in Christ. And so what does it mean to be in the Spirit? It means to be in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, the Spirit dwells in you and you are no longer in the flesh. You are now in the Spirit. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Or Galatians 5.16, I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is real. Listen, this body, it lusts for all kinds of things, right? I mean, yesterday, we had such a feast here. I mean, there was food. There's still food next door. I mean, there was every kind of dessert. There was rugby pudding. There was banana pudding. There were cakes. There were, oh my gosh, not to mention the barbecue and all the things. And not because I'm obsessed with being thin, but I tend to have blood sugar issues. So, you know, I wanted to eat that whole pan of rugby pudding. Listen, I had, I had one little square that big with that creamy custard goodness. You pour on top of it, it was warm and hot. And oh man, it was so. I ate that one little square. I said, I'm going to be a good boy. Because I'd already had banana pudding and everything else. I didn't even take my blood sugar last night. It's like, I ain't even going to bother, you know? I had that one little square. I'm telling you what, my flesh lusted. I mean, it was all I could do to keep from going back. And just, I could have literally taken that whole pan, just poured that pitcher of custard over it, and I could have sat there and ate the whole thing. I mean, not skip a beat. It was... It was the lust of my flesh. It wanted it. Now that's just a kind of a funny example, right? But there's all kinds of things that our flesh lusts after. 
They're not all physical, material things. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live, do you live in the Spirit? If you belong to Jesus, if you've been born again, if you've been crucified with Him, buried with Him, raised with Him, then you are in Christ. You live in the Spirit. And so how are you to walk? If you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Don't walk any longer fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have pie and dessert. Okay, don't get me wrong. There's nothing sinful about pie and dessert, right? There are some things, though, that we have appetites for that are sinful. You know, guys uh, commonly struggle with sexual perversion, pornography, sexual desires. It's a common thing. Most of the time when the word lust is used and you're, you're with a bunch of men and you say the word lust, I guarantee you, 99.9% of those men in the room, when you say the word lust, the first thing that comes to their mind is something sexual or pornographic. There are physical desires that are sinful. So God's point is not that we can't have enjoyment in life. God created sex to be enjoyed within its proper context. God created rugby pudding to be enjoyed within its proper context. I just, he just didn't create it so that you could sit down and eat two whole pans by yourself because then that is sinful because that is what the Bible calls gluttony. And we want to point, you know, fingers at all kinds of sin, but, you know, gluttony is just one of those things that we think, oh, well, you know, it's no big deal. So what's it mean to be carnally minded? Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life. Let's go back to the law for a minute. This is what the law does. The law sets our mind on the flesh. This is what we do a lot of times as parents. This is what we do a lot of times as pastors. I've confessed to you before that I spent many, many years preaching and teaching behavior modification, and I repent of that because I didn't really understand the gospel. I didn't really understand the salvation that Jesus brought to us by the gift of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we're very, very prone to do this. That we become very carnally minded. And we're forever pointing out our shortcomings. Listen, we need to have a revelation of our sinfulness. There's no doubt about that. You will never understand the grace of God until you understand the depravity and the sinfulness of man. But the point is, if we're carnally minded and we spend all of our time trying to whip our flesh into submission so that our flesh will become righteous. That is an impossible task. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. That's what the law did. And, and the purpose of that was not to make us righteous. The purpose of that was to reveal that there is no way in and of ourselves we can become righteous. So to be carnally minded is a mind set on the flesh. Carnal or carnality is a term that the scripture uses to describe the nature of the old man. It's associated with sin and the sin nature and the old man according to the deceitful lusts of the flesh. When we hear the word lust, we think about 
obviously sinful or perverted things. Kind of like the example I gave of men, when they hear the word lust, they think about sexual sin. But lust involves much more than just sexual immorality. Lust speaks of that which is sensual, fleshly, or worldly. So the lust of the flesh, it could be pride or arrogance. Anybody ever deal with pride or arrogance? You ever feel compelled to defend yourself when you feel like someone is, whether they're overtly attacking you or not? You ever feel that little thing rise up in you and you just, you just want to defend yourself? You know why you feel so compelled to defend yourself? It's pride. It really is. Now, sometimes we're justifiably put in a position where we need to defend ourselves. But a lot of times, it's just pride and arrogance. Selfish ambition is, is rooted in lust. Lust for power, lust for money, lust for attention, lust for approval, lust for control, lust for vainglory, lust for sinful pleasure. Pleasure is not sinful. Sinful pleasure is sinful. God created all kinds of pleasures for us to partake of. And we can partake of them joyfully and in a godly way. But there's also a way that we can partake of pleasures that are not godly and they're not right. Sex outside of marriage is not God's design. Men, finding your satisfaction on a computer screen instead of your wife is not God's design. Parents, manipulating your children and trying to make them or to live vicariously through them and make them become what you never were. Hmm. That, that, that can be sinful. That can be a sinful thing. There's all kinds of ways that we lust, the lust to manipulate others. These are all just examples of deceitful lust of the old carnal man. The only way to become spiritual is to be born of the Spirit. We cannot do this in the power of our carnal or our fleshly nature. Listen, the flesh cannot become spiritual. You cannot make your flesh spiritual. Jesus Christ did not come and pour out His Holy Spirit so that you could make your flesh spiritual. Jesus Christ came so that you could do one thing and one thing only with your flesh. Crucify it and put it away. That's all He wants you to do with your flesh. Crucify it, kill it, and put it away. And be raised in newness of life. That's what he wants. That's what he came to do. So trying to fight, listen, trying to fight sin with the flesh is literally like trying to fight a fire with gasoline. I'm telling you, that's literally what it's like. Trying to fight sinfulness with your flesh is literally like throwing gasoline on a fire hoping that the gas is going to put it out. It ain't going to happen. You know what's going to happen? 
When we try to fight sin with the power of the flesh, it only inflames the passions of the flesh because a mindset on the flesh is death. Because the more you focus on that sinful flesh, the more you fixate on that, the less you will see Christ, the less you will see the grace of God, and pretty soon all you're focused on is your sinfulness. And your mind is set on nothing but death. I promise you that's not why Jesus came. Sin is overcome only by the grace of God in Christ. The body of sin, the flesh, and its deceitful lust must be put away and it must be crucified. It must be buried with Christ. When we are born again of the Spirit by grace through faith in Christ, the old man is crucified with Him and the old man is buried and put away with Christ. This death and burial of the old man makes way for the resurrection of the new man. So the putting off of the old man makes way for the putting on of the new man. Or Colossians 3, 8 through 11, Paul writes it this way, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. How did you do that? When you were crucified and buried with him. And have put on this term, Put on literally is a phrase, it's a Greek phrase that literally means to put on a garment. It's just like putting on a cloak or a jacket. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ, oh, hear this church, Christ is all in all. Christ is is all in all. You are acceptable to the Father because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, because of you being in Christ, who is our glory. So we're called to be spiritual, not carnal. And finally, we're called to put on the new man. I just want to talk briefly about this. This is kind of going to be our springboard to our discussion next week about resurrection. So the first step in putting on the new man is the putting away or the putting off of the old man. Why, why does the old man need to be crucified? Because he needs to die so that the body of the sins of the flesh can be put away. Jesus is called the first fruits of resurrection. Now, I've heard people say this. Well, uh, there's a difference between a resuscitation and a resurrection. Um, Jesus wasn't the first person that ever died and came back to life. You can read in the Old Testament, Elijah, the prophet, uh, when he stayed with the widow and her family who was barren, and finally, Elijah prays for her and she has a son. And that son's probably an adolescent, probably a, in his early teens. He's out working with uh, fathers out in the field working, and the son uh, drops dead. The son dies. She carries the little boy in. Elijah comes back and brings the child back to life. You guys think I preach long? Peter preached so long one night that a guy was sitting in the window to get some air. And he fell asleep, and he fell two stories to his death. Now, I haven't, I haven't preached so long that someone's fallen out of their chair and died yet. 
you know, I know it's a little bit after 12, and we're going to wrap it up here real quick, but Peter goes down, he, he prays for the guy, and the guy comes back to life. There's no doubt that the Apostle Paul was killed, probably on more than one occasion, and God brought him back to life. So Jesus wasn't the first person who was resurrected. He's not the only person that was resurrected. So what, what's the difference with Christ in, in, in others? It's not merely that Jesus did not die again. It is true that everyone who was ever resurrected other than Jesus died again. But that's not really the difference. The difference is why Christ did not. Why did Christ not die again? Because Christ is different than everybody else who ever died and was resurrected or resuscitated. The key is, why did Christ not die again? When Christ was crucified, when he died and when he was buried, listen, he was, he was crucified and buried as the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the last Adam. It uses that phrase for a reason. Christ was Adam. The word Adam is a, is a Hebrew word that means man. God created man. Adam means man. So Christ was Adam or man in his humanity. He was the last Adam, but he was also very God or divine in his deity. Jesus was human 100%, yet he was divine 100%. Jesus was crucified was buried, put in that tomb as the last Adam, conceived by the Holy Spirit through the womb of Mary, he could justly take the wrath due man. But Jesus wasn't like, though he had all the attributes of humanity, he walked perfectly, fulfilled God's law perfectly, because he is the promised seed. He was the one that Genesis 3.15 prophesied of. The seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. Yes, serpent, you will bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. And He walked out this life perfectly fulfilling the law of God. The only man who ever did and the only man who ever will. And so he unjustly because he was perfect in his humanity, he unjustly was crucified. But in his grace and mercy, he took the justice due you and I upon himself. And he could rightly take that justice because he was a son of Adam in the sense of his humanity. But yet, there was something also very different about Jesus than you and I. Otherwise, any man could have died on the cross for our sins. And no man could except this man, this son of man. So when Christ was, when he died and he was buried and he was put away as the last Adam, when Christ rose again on the third day, he rose as the second man. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the last Adam. It also calls him the second man. Or the better way for us to understand it is the second humanity. Jesus was raised as the second humanity. 
the heavenly man, the one new man. The difference between the risen Christ and the fallen Adam and you and I before the new birth, that's who we are. We are fallen Adam. We are sons of Adam. This is why we're born in sin, our nature is sin and death, and we have no hope. Unless God would have sent the last Adam, the second man, to resurrect and bring a new humanity and a new creation, we would be without hope. But praise God, the good news is we're not without hope. So when Christ was raised up, he was raised up in newness, the second man, the heavenly man. Christ, the promised seed, the first fruits of resurrection, was sown into the ground and is now being multiplied. The difference between Christ and Adam is that Christ rose as the second man. The difference is in the seed. If you plant an apple tree, you're going to get apples. You don't plant an apple seed thinking you're going to get oranges, right? Listen, when Adam was planted in the ground, whether it was Elijah raising him up or whether whoever it was, they all died again because they were just Adam. But when Christ was planted, when he was buried, he was put away as Adam, the last Adam, to take the justice that was due us when he took upon himself the wrath of God. But he was raised as a second man, as a new humanity. And when you and I are crucified and buried with Christ, it is our old man, Adam, who is crucified and buried. It's not the old man, Adam, who is raised up. Adam has been put away once and for all. We are raised up now. How? In the likeness of Christ. Go back to Romans, and here we're going to wrap it up. So when we're buried with him, when we're baptized with him, Romans chapter 6, when we're buried with him as the seed of fallen Adam, something miraculous happens. In our death and in our burial, we are transformed into a new creation. A caterpillar goes into a cocoon and it comes out a butterfly. Something miraculous happens when we're crucified with Christ and buried with Christ. We're not raised as old Adam. We're raised in the newness of life of the second man, the Lord from heaven. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us. This is what we, we read it yesterday at the graveside. Conway's, uh, we planted that man into the ground. We planted a seed into the ground, into God's garden. And one day God's going to raise it up in resurrection life, in resurrection power. Because something happened when Conway was crucified with Christ and buried with Christ. He was resurrected in newness of life. He was no longer of the seed of fallen Adam. He was now of the promised seed who is Christ. This is what Paul teaches us in Galatians. Christ is the promised seed. He's always been the promised seed. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read it again. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You were crucified with Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. You don't bury living people. You bury dead people. 
We were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Christ. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also who have been buried with him shall be raised up to walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you know why I have absolute, complete certainty that every believer that I see planted into the ground in a graveyard, I have absolute certainty that one day that body will bust out of that ground and be resurrected in resurrection life. The reason I have absolute certainty of that is because they have already been resurrected. Listen, if you are in Christ, you have already experienced the resurrection. You have already been raised up in the life of Christ. This is how you are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The physical resurrection of your physical body is just a given. That, that is just the cherry on top. That's when the sons of God will be revealed and the creation will grow no longer anymore, waiting for, Paul writes, the revealing of the sons of God. Our redemption, this is what the Bible means when it says you are saved. Listen, your salvation, if you are saved right now, your salvation is a finished work, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. But yet the Bible says you are saved, meaning past tense, done deal. You are being saved. Well, well, wait a minute, what does that mean? This is our soul. The soul, suke, it's the Greek word. It means the seat of your mind, your will, and emotions. Listen, God raised your spirit up, made it perfectly conformed to his at the new birth. What part of you now is being renewed? Remember, we read this just a while ago. Paul says you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is my soul. This is the part of me being saved right now. There's no doubt about my salvation. It's going to be saved. Philippians 1, 6, he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Spirit of God in each one of us, renewing our minds, conforming us to the image of the Son. And we will be saved one day because one day this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. We're not just going to be saved in our spirit and in our soul. We're going to be saved spirit, soul, and body. Jesus physically came out of the tomb. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about resurrection next week. So i got to stop right there. Y'all have got me going. and so I just want to keep, keep on going right into resurrection, but, but we can't do it, okay? But until you've been crucified, until, you've, until you have died with Christ in the cross, until you've been buried with Christ and put away the sinful body of sin, the flesh, you will not experience Resurrection. Remember, everybody wants to, to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it's not physical death that, that really we're talking about here. Don't fear physical death. So next week, we're going to pick up right there, and we're going to talk about our resurrection with Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. So in your death, you died. It's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. Because you, your old man was put away. 
And in that death and in that burial, there is, it's implied, it's certain, there is a resurrection. This is the cross. The cross is not just the death. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul goes on and he says to the Romans, reckon yourself dead indeed to sin. Romans 6.11. How can you do that? Because you reckon that you have been crucified and you have put away, you have buried the body of sin. Father, I pray that you would, Lord, by your spirit. I pray, God, you would put it in the hearts of your people to be hungry and thirsty for your truth, for your word. I pray, God, that as, Lord, as your people would just go back to the scripture, just go back to Romans 6 and read the inspired words of the Apostle Paul that speak of our death, our burial, and our resurrection that reveal to us the miraculous thing that happened when Christ died on the cross and finished the work of salvation. When his body was put away and his body was raised up. And so God, if we have been baptized into Christ, we have been baptized into that same death, that same burial, and that same resurrection. Truly God, it is no longer I who live it is Christ who lives in me. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, give your people a revelation of your grace. That, God, you've done something that we cannot do on our own. That you have provided something for us, God, not to be abused, not to be taken advantage of. But, God, when we see the miracle and the magnitude of your grace, it humbles us, God. It makes us desire Lord, to live in a way that glorifies you, that testifies of you, that bears witness to the good work that is proclaimed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that is the power of God. We ask you, Lord, that you would, by the power of your gospel, touch us, change us, transform us, and conform us to the image of your dear Son. Lord, if there are any here that do not know you, who have never cried out to you from a heart of faith, God, I pray that you would grant repentance, that you would pour out your grace, and that we would cry out to you from a heart of faith, trusting God that all and any who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Be glorified, Father, in your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen.